Well, we've got two readings this morning, and uh, the first is uh, Matthew 13, 1-9, which is a well-known passage and serves as something of background to our main passage, which we're, is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll read that in a moment. Uh, before we read the scripture, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer once again. Father, as we gather round your words, uh, again, we thank you that... Uh, for the treasure that it is. And we pray we would see it as such. And therefore desire it with all our hearts. That, to understand it and to be encouraged by it. So bless us now by your spirit. Open it up to us we pray. In Jesus name. Amen. So Matthew 13, 1-9. The parable of the sower. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then our second reading is from Second Thessalonians. Um, so Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. And uh, chapter 2 and verse 13 through to 3, 5. And Paul writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the words of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you, are doing, uh, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to, to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Well, over the last few weeks, uh, except last week when I was on holiday, we've We've been looking at what it means to be, become a Christian. Uh, what are the benefits of becoming a Christian? What are the things that happen in us? 
and what are the things that happen for us. Um, and uh, we have been seeing how uh, our salvation has been planned by the Father from eternity past. We have seen how uh, Christ has uh, won, won for us uh, our salvation through his work, his saving work on the cross in, his, in dealing with the, the penalty and the power of sin and, uh, <clears throat> and then dealing with death through his resurrection and being raised to life. And now, uh, in this phase of redemptive history, uh, that work of Christ and that electing purpose of God the Father is now brought to fruition in the life of the believer uh, through the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit, as it were, applies those benefits that Christ has won uh, to us so that we begin to benefit from the death of Christ 2,000 years ago. And that work of the Holy Spirit in us and for us is not just a a one-off work at the point where we come to faith, but is, as we saw last time, is a continuing work of the Holy Spirit in granting us continuing and progressive sanctification. In other words, we, we progressively become more holy. It doesn't mean we reach perfection, not yet anyway. Uh, that will come when we're glorified. But the Holy Spirit is changing us and transforming us making us more and more like Jesus Christ, removing, killing sin in us. And we are enabled to kill sin in our lives, that we might live to righteousness. That's all entailed in the sanctification, progressive sanctification. Now, as you think about that, you you may well have found yourself um, coming up with some doubts in your mind. You might be thinking to yourself, well, my faith is so weak and so feeble that I'm not sure I'm going to be able to to maintain it and continue right to the end. Many of us go through difficult times and periods of our lives and we think, I'm just not sure that I'm going to make it to the end. You may be tempted to give it up. You may be tempted to throw in the towel. And that's part of being a Christian, isn't it? This is part of the struggle of the Christian life that we enter into as the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. That war, if you like, that goes on within our flesh, uh, between our flesh and and all its sinfulness, and the Spirit also within us. And it's a battle, it's a continual battle the whole time to live the Christian life. And you may have doubts about whether you're going to make it uh, to the end. And it may even get worse for you. You may know some people who seem to have been following Christ, who have had a strong faith. But then something happens in their life and suddenly they're nowhere in the Christian life. I've known people like that. Actually, I've known people who have led others to Christ who themselves have then seemed to have fallen away from the faith. It's a a puzzle, isn't it? It's a strange thing. And those people, as far as I can tell, have never returned to the Lord and may even now be hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ. And those stories can discourage us and even cause us to doubt that we might fall into that same condition. 
of falling away. Well, today I want to go against that flow of discouragement. And with God's help, understand what scripture says about how he saves his people. Because what I want to talk about this morning is the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Now, when I say saints, you understand what I mean. Every Christian, everyone saved by God, a saint. Not some special elite Christian of history or whatever, but every Christian. Talking about the perseverance of the saints. In other words, we're thinking about how it is that God who has elected and chosen and called people to himself and justified and adopted and definitively sanctified them will enable them to get through to the end. The perseverance of the saints. And let me, uh, I don't usually do this, but let me quote to you the Westminster Confession of Faith. uh, Chapter 17, verse 1, for those of you who are in... Paragraph 1, for those of you who are interested. 17.1, it says this. What is... What is... uh, this doctrine, it says, They whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. So there you have it. We're going to try and unpack that over the next uh, half hour or so. And uh, I've got four pretty ambitious things to, to deal with this morning. First of all, what does the Bible say about this? It's all very well the confession saying that, but we, we need to know the Bible says it. Absolutely. The most fundamental thing. We need to know the Bible says these things. Secondly, why can we know it's true? What other things do we know that make perseverance of the saints a certainty? Thirdly, How do we understand those people that seem to fall away from the faith? What are we to think about them? And fourthly, how to grow, very practical end, how to grow in assurance that we will persevere. And that's important because the problem we have is not the fact of perseverance, but the assurance that we have that God really means it. So how can we grow in our assurance? So first of all, what does the Bible say about this doctrine? And there are a number of places to go, but one of them is in the passage we read from 2 Thessalonians, uh, verses 3 and 4. Let me read this to you again. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things That we command. And here we see Paul expressing a confidence in the idea that these Christians in Thessalonica will stand such that they continue to do the things that they're already doing. How does he know that? How does, is it because he knows that they are strong and reliable? That they've become strong and reliable people and that his faith is in them? And of course, it's not the answer at all. It's not his faith in them that matters here. It's not what he's expressing. 
is for another reason. And he says it here. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. He is the one who does the establishing. He is the one who enables his people to persevere in doing good. But that's not the only place in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Jesus, or God who started that work, will bring it to completion. He will see it through to the end. He does not give up part way through our God. Once he starts, he keeps going. He won't let you go. You may find that a scary thought. But if he's called you, he won't let you go. What does Jesus say about it? Let me read to you uh, John chapter 6. Uh, verse 37. Should have put my finger on the page. Hold on a second. John six thirty-seven. And Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. See the certainty with which Jesus speaks on these things? Both the Father and the Son are involved in the, save, the work of saving a people for, uh, for himself. The Father brings those people and gives them to his Son. And the Son receives them. He doesn't cast any of them away. Nor does he lose any of them. And Jesus will ensure that they are raised up at the last day. The resurrection. The final resurrection. That's the certainty, you see. Jesus will make sure it is going to happen. And so we could go on. Uh, On Thursday we were looking at the end of Hebrews chapter 7. Lucien was leading us in a Bible study. And chapter 7 verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, he's going to save you and save you to the uttermost because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's always going to be there making intercession for you. It's it's so important, the resurrection and the ascension and the continuing intercessory ministry of Jesus for the life of the Christian. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, actually. And so that's Hebrews 7.25, uh, 1 Peter 1.5. And Peter says, By God's power you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be, be revealed at the last time. He's, you're being guarded by faith ready to, for a salvation ready to be re- revealed. Now we could, we could look at the Old Testament as well, but we don't have time. So, you'll be glad of that. Now, just pause for a moment. Because here's the question that we need to ask ourselves at this point. What kind of God do you believe in? 
What kind of God do you believe in? Do you believe in a God who is far away and distant and largely irrelevant and not that interested? Do you believe he's a God who offers you some some spiritual goodies in life but uh, you're not sure that he really means to see you through to the end? Do you believe that he seems to offer you a one-off spiritual experience and then leaves you to make the best of it by yourself? That he's not powerful enough? That he's not interested enough to see it through to the end? Friends, I want to say to you that there is no such God. Only false gods are like that. Only made-up gods are like that. Capricious unreliable the whole pantheon of gods that that people worshipped in the first century and still continue to worship today across the world these gods are all unreliable every single one of them the gods that we make up in our imagination the gods of, of philosophical systems the god of political systems all these gods are unreliable will never look after you in the way that Jesus Christ will He is faithful, you see. He is faithful and will see you through to the end. He sticks with you right to the end. You may have friends that come and go in your life. But here is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Says Proverbs 18.24. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is a, a God who sticks closer than a brother? Well... These are the promises that God makes about the completion of God's work of salvation. Here's the second thing this morning. Other reasons why we know this is true. Five things I've got, sorry. (laughs) You ready? Five things to say about it, and it's all from this passage. Firstly, the unchanging love of God. The unchanging love of God. Look at verse 13. We always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. You, brothers and sisters, are beloved of the Lord. Or verse 16. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. We have confidence, you see, that God loves his children. So if you're a Christian today and you've become a Christian, you've come to Jesus Christ, then know for sure that God loves you. And he will never not love you. You cannot be more loved than you currently are. You cannot be less loved than you currently are by God. Now, how do you know that God loves you? Not through your feelings. You know, I met a lady once. We were doing some door knocking around Solihull over in Elmden, I think it was. And I remember I asked this this lady who was a professing believer, but I asked her, "How, how do you know the love of God? And she started talking about how there were times in her life when she would experience an inner warmth because of the love of God flowing through her. 
Now, I'm not against any those kind of experiences. Wonderful. You know, great if you can have them. But that is not the proof that God loves you. God loves you even when you feel rotten and dreadful. It is not through your circumstances. He doesn't, it's not your circumstances that prove that God loves you. There are many people who think that you are loved by God when everything is going well, when you are materially prosperous, and everything's going swimmingly and wonderfully. I mean, who has a life like that? But, you know, some people think that's when God, I know God loves me, because everything's going really well. Do you remember the parable of the rich man and his barns in Luke chapter 12? God says, you fool. His barns were full. Everything was going well. And God says, you fool. This night, your soul is required of you. Nothing is certain materially in this world. Only the love of God is certain if you're a Christian. So where do we see the love of God? Where do we get that assurance that God truly loves us? Romans chapter 5 verse 8. How many times have I told you this? But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where do you go to be assured that God truly loves you? Go to the cross. Look at Jesus on the cross. Remind yourself of what it cost him and why he did it. And you see there the love of God. The continuing love of God. And that's, that transcends every circumstance, every feeling you may have. Because that's always true. God demonstrates his love for us in this while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. Romans 5 8. So that's the first reason God's unchanging love. Second reason uh, the election and call of God. Why do we know God is true that we'll persevere? The election and call of God. See that in verse 13, again, verse 13. Uh, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by his spirit and belief in, in the truth. And then into verse 14. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for the Christian today... God had a purpose and plan in choosing and then in calling you through the gospel. And in Thessalonica, that was preached by Paul. Paul went into Thessalonica and he had three Sabbath days and he preached the gospel. And uh, he did a bit of tent making as well, I'm sure. And uh, talked with people day by day uh, as he was talking about his business and everything. And he was talking about the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. And... People became Christians. And the the call of God was heard and felt by those believers. And see, the point is this, that when God decrees to call his people and then carries it out, his character does not change. That once he has started the work, he is going to see it through to, to, to the end. So, you know that famous verse in uh, Numbers twenty-three, nineteen: God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? See, when he says something, he is going to do it. 
And he's going to, if he says he's going to save you, he's going to save you. And he's going to take you through uh, to the end. Third reason why we can know this. He gives his Holy Spirit. See that there at the end of verse 13. Uh, verse 13. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And that's a, that's a remarkable thing, isn't it? We think that the Lord Jesus himself, when he is the Son of God, took upon himself human nature. Uh, how did he live as a man? How did, how did he just conduct himself? How did he live a sinless life as he walked on this earth? How did he resist sin? As a man. How did he live that perfect life? Not because he's God. He is God. But remember he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing. It wasn't by his, the fact that he was God. Actually, that would be heresy. If you believed that. Jesus doesn't sin because he's God. He wasn't able to sin because he's God. As though he he was like impervious to temptation. How was he able to live then? He was able to live through the, the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in him as a man. In his human nature. He had to become exactly like us. If he wasn't exactly like us, he could not be our saviour. So he has to use the resources that are made available to us too. The Holy Spirit from heaven. And that same Holy Spirit that was in Christ is now in every believer. Isn't that an amazing thought? Remarkable thing. That same Holy Spirit is in us. Now, we have sin to deal with. We have a, nature, a, a fallenness about us that we have to deal with. And it takes time for that to be expunged. Not so Jesus, but he still had to resist temptation by the Spirit. But he will see through, therefore, because he saw through Jesus in his life and death and resurrection... He will see us through to eternal life. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Fourthly, fourth reason. Christ's ongoing work for his people at the right hand of the Father. Uh, So verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. Um, verse um, in every good work so and it's, it's a good I've touched on it already but it's a good question to ask what is it that Jesus is doing now sometimes I think people think well Jesus is risen up into heaven some people think well he's just kind of twiddling his thumbs waiting for something to happen and uh, waiting for the time when he's to come back again but the rest of the time he's just sitting around doing his own thing uh, no <laughs> no he is continually interceding for us continually Making available to us the resources of heaven through the Holy Spirit, mediated through the Holy Spirit, that we may live and endure. 
Christ is at work interceding for his people. And he's defending you. He is securing for you those heavenly resources you need. Now you're all here this morning. And some of you have been Christians a short time. And some of you have been Christians many years. How have you got to this point? How did you get to this point where you're here today? And you're continuing in the faith. The answer is not because you tried really hard. And you've been really disciplined. Though you may have been. The answer is the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father for you. All glory to him. He enables you to continue. That's where the power is. Here's the fifth reason. A Christian is united to Jesus Christ. And here, um, it's not the best verse, I think, but... um, It certainly does enough. Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 3. We have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing the will. uh, That you are doing and will do the things that we command. Confidence in the Lord. In Christ. In Christ. This is not just a statement about where Paul is putting his trust in the Lord. Though it does include that, he's speaking about something much deeper, about a union between the Christian and Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's a union, a bond, an unbreakable bond between Christ and his people by the Holy Spirit. And it's one of Paul's favorite phrases in in his New Testament letters that Christians are in Christ. It's a vital union that exists between Jesus and his people. And it means that every single one that Jesus has intends to save and the Father has elected to save, uh, the Holy Spirit will guarantee is, is going to be saved because they are united to Jesus Christ. And this bond, you see, is like a, it's like a marriage. Uh, it's like Jesus is married to his church. And he is always going to be faithful to his church and to his people. It's a bond that could never be broken. So five reasons why we can know this is true. And, uh, you know, if we're... That means that for us as Christians, we can have confidence that because we have started in the faith, we will finish. Not because it's, our faith is strong or anything like that. Because of all the work that God has done and is doing for us. We look to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So here's a third big question. Time's pressing on. What about people who fall away then? What about people who follow, seem to fall away from the faith, seem to no longer profess Christ? Um, and I'd be surprised if some of you didn't have that question this morning. And you might be thinking of people who have who seem to have fallen away. And um, and you may think, well, you might even think of verses that suggest that, um, that Christians can fall away. Uh, just one example of that is uh, Galatians 5.4, where Paul says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. So he's talking about people who want to Just focus on the law and not Christ. He says, you are severed from Christ. You would be uh, 
be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace, as though they've been in grace, and they've kind of fallen away from it. Um, and Paul is saying, of course, you can't be right with, uh, with God by keeping the law. That's impossible. But he also seems to be suggesting that the, there are people who once connected with Christ who are now not lo- any longer connected with Christ. So here, so how do we explain that? We need to be careful here, of course. And we need to remember something really important. That it's possible to experience God's grace without actually being saved. We've recently been through a study in Hebrews chapter 6 and we've worked through the verses that uh, that really go through all of that. It's possible to experience God's grace without having saving grace. We can come to enjoy fellowship in the church, friendship in the church. We can have certain experiences in the body of the church and uh, being part of this body of people but not, it's possible not to have saving grace. We may even have spiritual conviction of sin or an inner warmth that we attribute to an act of God. And these may be gracious movements of the Holy Spirit, but in themselves they are not saving grace. You see how close I'm trying to push this, the experience is is not to be trusted as far as saving grace is concerned. You may even convince me and the other elders in this church that you are a true Christian believer, but you may not have experienced saving grace in your life. Why? Because the world is full of hypocrites, people who say one thing on the outside and are different on the inside. They haven't truly experienced saving grace. I think that's what Paul is speaking about in Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 that we read a second ago. That in the church there will be those who have an external connection with the church. Seem to be good members and so on. And in one sense they are surrounded by grace. They have the influences of grace in their lives. They hear the word of God for example which is a gracious act of God, even on sinners who are unbelievers. But they never truly receive that gospel. They never truly receive Jesus Christ. They've not shown true faith, true repentance from sin. And so they're not showing the, 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 the true signs of, signs of true spiritual Life, they're just going, kind of going through the motions. And that is a, an extremely dangerous place to be. Because it's only a matter of time before that inner hypocrisy becomes evident and there is a, f- a falling away. Jesus talked about that in the parable of the sower that we read earlier, Matthew 13. You know, all the seeds that fall on the path are snatched up by the birds. With some people, uh, you know, the word of God just kind of bounces off them. (laughs) And they're not interested. Don't take it seriously. It's just the preacher waffling on. There are some people for whom the seeds fall on rocky ground. And there seems to be joy. There seems to be growth. 
But then because it's shallow, that growth dies. And in the pressures of life, uh, it just dies. And then some seeds uh, fall amongst thorns. And it can never quite get going because of the strangling effect of the weeds of their lives. You know, the worries, the fears, the troubles of their lives. And some people just cannot see beyond their troubles to see to really receive the grace of God. But real Christian, Christianity happens when the seed of God comes and it lands and it grows and it sinks down deep roots. It grows and produces a marvelous fruit. You know, harvest. Fruitfulness of life. You begin to see it. You see the effects of it. People, people's lives are changed. They live differently. Different priorities, all sorts. And so, that's what you see sometimes. So, when you see somebody who seems to be in the faith and then falls away, it's probably the seat has fallen as rocky ground, or it's shallow ground, or the weeds of life have just strangled it. So, be aware and, and uh, remember that. Finally, let me just uh, deal with this question. How do we grow in assurance then? Uh, assurance that God really means what he says. Uh, Christians, you see the parable shows us that Christians can be troubled by many things in life. And therefore it may appear to us that our salvation may be in doubt. And it's not that God is in doubt, but we lack assurance in God. So what do we do? Let me just mention a few things that are useful to us. God actually calls us to do certain things that will help us in assurance. Number one, three things. Number one, because our perseverance is all about God, we want to keep our eyes on him. And we do that by keeping our eyes on the word of God. That's why Paul says in, in 2 verse 15, uh, 2 Thessalonians, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold, hold to the traditions that you are taught by us, either by our spoken word or by a letter. Hold on to these things. Hold on to them. And that means, for you and for me, we keep coming under the ministry of the word week by week, morning and evening. Brothers and sisters, morning and evening. Come and be under the word of God. And if the spirit of God is in you, you will have a desire to do that. See, I'm troubled by the fact that there are some folks who don't seem to be that bothered about coming back. I'm troubled by it. You may be troubled, I'm telling you I'm troubled. I'm sorry about that. But brothers and sisters, we need to take this seriously. We need to keep our eyes on the word of God, on the Lord Jesus Christ who is contained therein. The second thing is, for those of us who are professing believers, make use of the means of grace. There's the preaching of the word, the Lord's Supper, baptism when we have it. Make use of these things, because these things are given to us to feed our faith 
They're there to encourage us. They're not incidental extras that we can take or leave. So we, we take the Lord's Supper once a month. You should be planning to be here every month and be guaranteeing that you're here because you need to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So make use of the, the signs and wonders that God has given us. Baptism, the Lord's Supper. Thirdly, last one. Find ways to develop meaningful fellowship. See, this is what church is for. It's not just a, a kind of get-together we can forget about during the week. The old saints used to call it the communion of the saints. Um, I believe in the communion of the saints. Apostles' Creed. Communion. Living together. Sharing together. Persevering together. And, and therefore, don't be an isolated Christian. You can't be an isolated Christian. You can't be a safe Christian if you're isolated. So make it a priority to meet with, to socialize with, and to worship with other Christians. Make it a priority. And all of these things are there to strengthen our faith and our assurance that we will indeed persevere. Well, it's probably enough for today. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for uh, this wonderful grace of yours that sees us through to the end. We pray you'd help us to see it and to be encouraged by it and help us therefore to be practical in applying what we've learned uh, and applying the means of grace to our lives, to take them seriously and to, to have zeal for your word. And for the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.